Hello and welcome to episode number 34 of the Her Story Speaks podcast. My guest today is Kate Merrick. From the outside looking in, Kate's life looks about as close to perfect as one can get. She's a surfer girl living in California, a pastor's wife, married to her husband Britt for 19 years. Together, they're church planters and parent their teenage son and their toddler daughter. Kate also spends her days writing, speaking, and homeschooling. However, when you take a closer look at the pages of Kate's story, you will find out that she also has chapters filled with tremendous grief, sorrow, and loss. In 2013, Kate endured the death of her daughter, Daisy Love, after she suffered through cancer treatment for three and a half years. Today on this episode, we talk about what the Lord showed Kate through her time of grief and how He helped her find joy in the midst of sorrow. We also talk about Kate's new book, Here Now, and her decision to go off social media and what it means to be fully present in this life. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Her Story Speaks podcast and your willingness just to share your story. Yes, you are so welcome. It's literally an honor. So thank you. And Kate, you are an author. You have two books and Still She Laughs and then also Here and Now. Here Now. I knew I was going to do that. Here Now. Here and now. <laughs> I know. Um, that just came out a couple months ago. So we will dive into the story in those books. But before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are in your day-to-day life, your family, where you live, all of that fun stuff? Yes, I am a homeschool mom of two well, three. I've got two that live on earth and one that lives in heaven. It's kind of a funny story at my house. We live on a little ranch right outside of Santa Barbara, California. So it's super dreamy. I was on the plane yesterday, actually, sitting next to this sweet old couple flying into Santa Barbara from Seattle. And they were like, oh, you live you live here. And I said, yeah. And they said, what do you do? And I said, I write. And they were like, oh my goodness, how dreamy is that? And I thought, you're right. It is dreamy. But you know, our actual life looks one way and the way it looks on paper is another. So um, that looks like, you know, I wake up, my my little girl is like breathing in my face and doesn't ever stop talking. And there's dishes and laundry everywhere and undone work. And my precious 18 year old son that I cannot peel out of bed for the life of him. Um, so, you and know, I appreciate real- that you're, you're honest <laughs> about that part because an outsider like me looking in, not leaving, looking at pictures, just a description. I'm like, she has the coolest life ever. She's like, <laughs> totally. a surf- she's a surfer. She lives in California. So, um, yeah. I appreciate the realness of it, that it's not just all, uh, roses in your it life. Is. Uh, it's so true. It's, it's so real, but yet yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. I'm really, really, really thankful. We have, um, we have a funny little menagerie of animals. So we have some chickens that I'm such a nerd. I'm so excited. Our, our, okay. Somebody had given me, I bought these baby goats at this animal rescue place. And uh-huh. she said, Hey, I heard most of your chickens are dead. So do you want some new chickens? So she gave me these two chicks and one ended up being a rooster. And we were going to pop a cap in that guy because you just, you know, roosters, they're just, uh-huh. they're loud. We've had chickens. I've had chickens and goats in our last house. So I've had them both. I also you homeschool. Know. So, um, yes. yeah, okay. no, I know. So we were like, let's kill the rooster, but I'm not killing the rooster. And my husband and my son were out of the country. And so I was waiting for them to get back to kill the rooster, but he got real busy with my hens while the boys were gone. (laughs) And my hens started staying in the coop a lot. And I noticed she's sitting on a bunch of eggs. So now we have all these little baby chicks and it's just the coolest ever. So we have baby chicks. I have a couple of goats that got really fat. I left my house for four days this weekend. I had... (laughs) 
um, some stuff to do with my publisher and a speaking engagement. I come back, my goats are huge and fat. I don't know what happened. I think they were feeding them the wrong food. And we have miniature donkeys. Your and goats are pregnant, aren't they? Are they? <laughs> no, they're not pregnant. There okay. are no boy goats around. Okay. okay. I think they were just feeding them um, the food from my ancient donkey. So I guess in a nutshell, my life is um, beautiful, hilarious, grubby, fancy all at once. So That's yeah. That's right. And when I, you hear, when I hear you talk about all those animals, I just think that is so much poop. Like seriously. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so much like I told you, we had goats and chickens and the amount of poop, like I couldn't handle it. That's part of the reason we moved out of the country <laughs> or yes. out of living in the country, not out of the country, but, um, yes. it's a lot of poop. And ironically, you have a chapter in your book about poop. So <laughs> you have a chapter in my book about poop, but other than that, other than my day to day, you know, poop, animals, kids, husband, we have a church here. We planted a church 15 years ago called reality. And that church has blossomed and grown. We birthed churches and now there are nine of us. And then we're, they're just like my pride and joy. Wow. That's so, and you are a surfer girl. And so is your husband, right? Ah, mm -hmm. And my husband's family, fun fact, he grew up in a surfboard making family. And so if you're not familiar with surf equipment, uh, Channel Island Surfboards is the equivalent of like Nike. If you were like, okay, if it were a, a, an athletic shoe, it would be Nike. So if it was luggage, it would be Louis Vuitton. I mean, I'm very, very proud of my um, heritage in law. So that is, um, my husband is bivocational. He's their head designer and shaper. So he makes surfboards with them. And then my son also works for the company. And I was going to take over the retail business back in the day. I used to work, you know, um, buying cute clothes and hanging up bikinis and selling surfboards and all the things that go with them. And then God called us into ministry and then God called me home to be with the kids. So it's, okay. it's, we've got our fingers in a lot of different pots. <laughs> And it's just, it's so interesting because as you share all this and to anybody that doesn't know your full story, you could hear all that and see your picture of this beautiful blonde girl, surfer girl, and be like, gosh, she does have the perfect life. But it is a great life, but there is so much more to your story and your story is riddled with sadness and tragedy and sorrow. Um, and, but still you laugh and God has shown you so much through it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So why don't you go ahead and start out taking us back um, to the kind of the start of your story when your perfect life did come crashing down, which would have been how many years ago then? About 10 years ago. Okay. Okay. So take us back to that day. You share it in your first book, just, and I think you touched on it too in your second one, when you're finally at that point where both your kids are in school and you and your husband are going to enjoy a day surfing. Mm -hmm. So as all any mother of young children knows, it's like the dream come true when you get a day to yourself, right? <laughs> I think when you're a young mom, you're like, what even is this? I can't even think a thought. Like, I can't go to the bathroom when I want to go to the bathroom. So you're just looking forward to some time alone, right? And even though your kids are beautiful and perfect and you just love them, I was excited for my daughter, Daisy. I had a son named Isaiah, and he was a third grader. My daughter, Daisy, was just going to kindergarten. And so since my husband's a pastor, Monday is his day off, and that we don't really go, like, to go out to eat or anything. We like to go surfing. Those are our dates. And so we were getting ready to go surfing. We dropped the kids off. We headed down to the factory, the surfboard factory. We were going to grab a couple boards to try some new shapes. And we were just kind of like lingering. And I got a phone call and it was the school, my daughter's school. And <clears throat> they said, you need to, you need to come get her. You need to come get Daisy. She fell down on the playground. She's pretty hurt. And I honestly was like, 
Ugh, that is so annoying. Right. I was just about to have a great day. Finally, a day to myself. You know, I just, you know what, everyone. Right. This is not my plan funny. for the day. Yes, I get it. Yeah, like that's, and so I was really just, ah, uh, just rolling my eyes. And so we drove out there and I went into the office to get her and she's laying in my friend's arm, my friend's who, my friend who works there. And she's kind of in and out of consciousness and she's vomiting because she hurts so much. So we take her to the ER. And we're there all day in the PICU, the the pediatric ICU, and they're trying to figure out what on earth is wrong with her. They've got morphine in her because her pain is so bad, and she's just pretty delirious. And and they're they're like, oh, she burst a kidney. Oh no, she burst her her spleen. And they're just trying to figure it out. By the end of the day, nurse walks in. She has a box of Kleenex and an oncologist. And I did not know at 34 years old what an oncologist was, but I knew what the Kleenex was for. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Daisy has cancer. There is a tumor in her belly that has burst and it um, is spreading the cancer around her body. And what we're going to do is we're going to, as soon as she's able, we're going to get in there, going to get, get that tumor out. You're going to do about eight months of chemotherapy. Mm. And just like, no one ever hears that word, you know, like the cancer kids right. were like other people's kids. Like right. we had a successful church, like you mentioned earlier, like the perfect life. You know, we had a beautiful marriage, a successful church, two beautiful kids. I had one miscarriage, you know, you expect, oh, I had a miscarriage. That was my sad thing. You yeah. know, I stayed in bed for three days crying. That was, that was the sad thing in my life. And it was, it was absolutely legitimately the sad thing in my life until cancer and, yeah. and, and so you're just spinning. You're like, what, what, no, what? And, um, yeah. and that's what you say in your book. My story is a kind of sad story we've all read about on a random blog that his friends told you about. And yeah. you never, ever, whoever thinks that's going to be their story. So, yeah. so you're living it. And I'm sure, did it just feel surreal? Like this really can't be my story right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But then also I'm like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. You know, like we're going to get this all fixed. We're going to like, my mom is a nurse. She's very, she's a five on the Enneagram. If you're an Enneagram person, uh-huh, I sure am. Uh-huh. <laughs> she's calm. She's knowledgeable. She's, she was my rock. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. The whole time. And so, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to do this. And, and so I felt like I was divided and this is, this isn't in the book or anything, but I just felt like I was divided. Like the part of me that is like, you want to fall apart and cut your skin and take drugs. You want to abuse alcohol. You want to run away. You want to do all these things. You want to cry in front of everybody. But then, you know, the other half of you is like, get your stuff together, girl. Your, right. your daughter needs you. Your son needs you. Your husband needs you. Your community needs you. And so you're kind of doing this like, like this, this like two sided thing where on the one hand, it was just a desire. I wasn't doing those things, but the only reason if you're listening right now, the only reason I was not doing those things is because of Jesus. If I did not have Jesus, I know myself, I would have cut, I would have abused alcohol. I would have done drugs. I would have run away. Right. And, and that's Jesus not to is- say that people that know Jesus, those things still happen to. And it is, oh my gosh, yeah. It's a hard line to walk during those difficult times. It's- but you did it. You leaned into Jesus during that time. I did. And and it's not like, oh, I did it so perfectly. I did it the way everyone is. I, I laugh with my husband because. 
because because we have this church, because we have this family of churches, we say, you know what? God has us on a tight leash because <laughs> we he knows we are the cheesiest Christians. If we we're not in charge of not in charge, but leading these sheep, these 3000, you know, collectively sheep, like I, would we even go to church? God knows like he needs to have us right there with him because we would stray so fast. And, you know, we do these little stray here and there. I mean, it's, it's hard, but honestly having each other, I, I look back on the situation, on the experience and I think, gosh, I don't want this to sound like cheesy cotton candy, overly sweet, but I was very, very fortunate in this situation to have a husband with a job that was flexible to have a community around me, to have people bringing us gift cards and food. I mean, there are women, single moms who do this, that don't someone supporting them. Like I, like on the one hand, it was the worst thing ever. You know, you're fighting cancer. Your, your daughter's just bald and shriveling up. But on the other, it's like I had as much support as a human being could have. So I never want anyone listening to be like, you have no idea. You know what I mean? I've gotten a lot of of people that have it way worse than me. And, and I recognize that. So, well, I think uh, that journey and walk through that intense suffering has to look different for everyone. It does. And just your story doesn't mean that's everybody's, but this is your story and what Jesus taught you through this. So you did have those three and a half years of being by your daughter's side, watching her suffer, praying, having faith. How, How did you continue to lean into Jesus during that time and not just fall away and be mad? Or maybe you did at times. Yeah, Yeah, such a good question. Um, It was, okay, there's, there's systems put into place such as, but not limited to reading your Bible and praying that Mm -hmm. you make a commitment. It's like a marriage. I mean, we are after all the bride of Christ, but it's like a marriage where you say, you know, some days I'm not going to really enjoy you that much. I'm not going to think that you're really there for me, but I'm going to press in and do these things that I have vowed to you. I'm going to be here and I'm going to pour into this relationship because I trust that that is ultimately going to result in a really good relationship. And so when you make a commitment to Jesus and you're like, I'm going to make a commitment to be in relationship with you. What does that look like? That looks like talking to him. Well, we call that praying. What does that look like? That looks like listening to him. That's also called praying and it's also called reading your Bible. And so when we, when you make a commitment to say hi to Jesus every day at some point, and it doesn't look like so perfect. I'm going to sit in my beautiful chair and watch the sunrise. Sometimes it looks like I'm sitting on the toilet because this is the only time I have without someone here. Whereas in the hospital, that is true. There is always someone there. Sometimes at home when you have little kids, I mean, that's kind of what it looks like for me. Again, my daughter just turned five and I'm like, sometimes the only (laughs) time I can get alone is in the bathroom, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's like five to seven minutes. Okay. Uh Uh, but when you make that commitment, when you're like, all right, it's not like I felt this constant feeling of fuzz, warmth, fuzzy, um, oh, you know, Jesus is right by my side. It looked like commitment. Mm 
And so writing down the times that we knew for a fact that was Jesus. Okay, that thing, that was just too uncanny. That was Jesus. That was him taking care of us. Yeah. And we have this like page, these pages in our Bible where we literally wrote down, okay, remember the time Zoe gave us that verse in Isaiah? Oh my gosh, that was right. Perfect timing. That was God speaking to us. Write it down. Right. Write it down. Right. Don't forget. Because when your face, like when we're only just really uh, myopic and just looking at what's right in front of us, we can really, really fast forget about what's really going on. Just like with your husband, think about it. You're like, you know what? Gosh, I don't like the way you walked in here today. And then you burped out loud and then you scratched yourself <laughs> and then left your dirty dishes right there. That's yes. myopia when you're like, that's all I see. When you don't yes. take a step back and say, oh my gosh, he has been there for me. He held my hair when I threw up. Like he caught my baby right. when my baby came out. Right. He's been faithful to me. Like, like Jesus is faithful to us, but it's also up to us to see it. And so we have to be, yeah, commit, and, commit to that. Right. And you, I mean, you just saying Jesus is faithful to us. I, from reading your first book, I think there's a time in your life, maybe you wouldn't have so easily said that. And that was after Daisy's death, because um, you're really raw. And you say, like, I did everything. We did everything. We had that faith. We had that prayer time. We had everybody praying. We did the me best medical treatment. So I'm assuming you thought Jesus was, was going to heal your daughter. And oh, my goodness, until the last minute, I thought, you know, maybe he's waiting to just really burst on the scene here. Like, I remember being in the radiologist's office and him showing me the fourth time that tumor came back mm -hmm. and looking at it and going, okay, but I know a kidneys light up too. Maybe her kidney grew back. And yeah. he looked at me and he goes to our church, sweet man. He looked at me and he's just like, his eyes were just like, oh, honey, oh, honey, no, that's not it. <sighs> and and I, I think like reading your whole story, it's like, that's one of the, it's part, it's the saddest part, just the, the faith you had. And it's like, why God? And when we read other stories, like, why didn't they heal? Why totally. didn't Jesus do that miracle when he could have? Totally. And so talk a little bit about that, because I know that process of you feeling like he did not answer your prayers. He did everything, including going to Israel, which we'll talk about that. Cause I think that ties into um, a lot of you're being present in the social media. Um, you're taking a break from that. But just when he didn't answer that and how that really worked at redefining what faith is for you, redefining what blessings are, because I think that's a really an important part of your story. It is so important. I think about it almost every day. It changed the way I read the word. It changed the way, especially here in the West. Think about it. We grow up reading our children's Bibles where all these men and women are the heroes Mm -hmm. And we are told to be like them. And, you know, we aren't told of, of their sins. <laughs> we, yeah. I mean, maybe we know about David and Bathsheba in some kind of like cloaked way. But we're told to look at these people in, in, in my mind. And I think in, in Western American Christianity, we equate blessing as you get what you want. You got your way. You won. Yes. You won. And when yep. you really look at the scriptures and you, you, you read about, you read these stories, you realize, whoa, that's not true. I don't know of a single person who was hashtag winning everything. Like mm -hmm. nobody. And I found surprisingly so much comfort in that like so much comfort in realizing whoa whoa hang on suffering is common to the human condition it doesn't mean that jesus doesn't love us and we have skewed it so far over here like 
blessing means, yeah, like I just said, like, you know, you, yeah. what I thought my life was, I had two beautiful kids. We owned a house in a place where almost nobody owns a house, like a successful church. We, oh, we're going to another service, you know, like we're so right. blessed. By American but, standards, that's, by that's American a, you're blessed. Yeah. And so when I look back and I, I started reading the scriptures and I realized, well, there's women getting raped. Mm-hmm. There's women like, you know, left with nothing there is, you know, and and I think, well, hang on. Well, these women didn't do something to to deserve it. These are just women living their lives. This is just what life actually looks like for everybody. And so I I thought about Mary, the mother of Jesus and I, and everybody loves Mary, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, she has blonde hair. She wears a pretty blue dress. (laughs) Like angels come like she's so fancy and like okay whatever she did give birth in a barn but it was a really clean pretty one with lots of fuzzy animals like we just thought we we started our conversation about poop that's what barns are (laughs) yeah anyone here wants to give birth in a nasty room full of poop i don't and yet that's how god in flesh chose to come into the world but he chose mary like like we're not talking about jesus here we're talking about mary when when she was told before you know she fell pregnant with jesus she was told she was blessed among women she was favored she was mm-hmm. blessed and favored and so we think well yeah of course she was blessed and favored she's going to be mother of messiah like that's pretty fancy okay like like everyone's going to make way for mary because she's mother of messiah but what that meant was that she was a refugee that she had a reputation. Who's going to believe she's yeah. pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Nobody. When you when you, when we read about them going back to Bethlehem, Bethlehem was David's family's town. Middle Eastern hospitality is like nowhere else. And when I read that there's no room at the inn, what that says to me is none of David's family would take him in. Mm-hmm. Does he have yeah. this woman, this hussy girl, this hussy weirdo liar girl, like who's pregnant with another man's baby? Yeah. A teenager. Yeah. Teenage girl. And so I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on. Jesus calls her blessed and favored. Mm. And and so they're, you know, then they go back to their nothing town. And then as Jesus is, you know, growing in favor, you know, with God and man, that's okay. We're ramping up. And then her son's doing all these miracles. We're ramping up. That's pretty good. And then all of a sudden Jesus kind of falls out of favor. People are talking about him saying he's a glutton and a drunkard. And so she's watching all this happen in it. And her son, you know, those 33 plus or minus years culminate in watching her son be tortured and killed mm-hmm. in front of her eyes. Is that less yeah. of a favor? Because that was not my what dog. we would define, but that's what Jesus says. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I was wrong because I don't think the Bible's wrong. So I'm the, probably the one here who's wrong. And I just started to really like look through the scriptures and read. And it's women. I, I Obviously, I'm going to be the one connecting with the women. What's going on with these women in the scriptures and, and the ones that Jesus is using and working through and, and doing all these things. And, and, and yeah, sometimes he does raise from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter and, you know, and, and Tabitha. And, and you're just like, Okay, that's kind of the exception to the rule. And there was a reason for it. And eventually they did die. But but when Jesus is allowing his people to go through these things, like I have to like accept that and 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 just trust him in that. But like what really just like sealed it for me 
was realizing that God himself knows what it's like to lose a child. And honestly, after Daisy died, it felt to me like Jesus is standing up in heaven with his arms crossed. Like, yeah, it sucks to be you. You went through some hard stuff. Yeah. Well, she died. Yeah. I didn't pull through, but I'm fine. It's fine. And that's a lie from Satan. Like that is an absolute lie because Jesus knows he sweat blood and said, God, please, Father, Abba, like, no, I don't want to suffer like this. I don't want to do this. But if it's your will, then I'll do it. And God's like, yeah, "Yeah, no, my answer to your prayer is no. And so, like, I think that, like, like, I know now the fellowship of his sufferings on some level. Like, I know the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. I know what it's like to get a no from God. And there's something incredibly special about that. And it doesn't ever take away the pain. I will always carry the sorrow with me. You know, it's like who it's part of who I am now. It's in the fabric of, of my life and who I am. But there's also something that, like kicked it up to the next level of understanding God, understanding what it's like to be his child, understanding what it's like to be part of history. Uh, We all are part of history, you know, and And, just kind of accepting that. And it took you, I mean, we're, like you said, 10 years after Daisy's death. So this was not just 10 years after her diagnosis. After her diagnosis. I apologize. Yeah. After her diagnosis. So this was a process of God working in your heart. It wasn't just... Okay, she died, and now this revelation. Like, it was a process, because you say in your book that suffering has been life-giving for me, and I'm pretty certain you didn't wake up the day after her death and say that. No, and it was definitely a process, and that's kind of what the whole first book is, kind of the the journey to discovery, and it begins, like, what I did, like, the, the night she died. And what that was like and how bitter I was and then not even realizing I was bitter. And then God's showing me, hey, you're actually kind of bitter. (laughs) This is kind of a problem. And like you were just sharing the stories of the um, women in the Bible. And that was part of the process for you, which is why one of the I love so much on your first book because you do go in deeper to these stories of women. And that is where you find your comfort with Sarah, with Mm -hmm. Mary, with all of that. And I love Mm -hmm. that part of the book um, Mm -hmm. that you're able to do that. Mm. Yeah, it was it's such a gift really because God really literally just brought me there in the scriptures. And it was it was weird how it started like um this isn't in the book but but I had said no to to speaking for several years and then mm. I get another invitation and they and they give me they're like, "Hey, you know, we'd really love you to teach this verse." And it was Proverbs 31:25. And my automatic was like, "No." And God was like, "Yep." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you are, because there's something I need to teach you and you're not going to listen. Like I said, I'm on a short leash. I'm not yeah. going to listen unless I have to like write a message and share it <laughs> with a room full of women. And so that's how God chose to just like whip me into shape. Um, but yeah, I'm so grateful. I just find so much uh, fellowship in the women of the Bible and so much fellowship in in women here that I, you know, that I know and live with and talk to and, and hear from and meet. And I think that there's just, um, I think that being real about our stuff is where the healing can be found. Oh, I absolutely. I mean, and that was, I think, you know, part of my reason for this podcast is like, we've, we've women as we've got to get real with our stories and our junk and our pain to just help others through their own and realize, you know, God's still there, even through all this crap that we have, we go through, God is Mm -hmm. still there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, 
like you just said, hearing stories of not only the women in the Bible, but other women that have gone there are there. That's what helps us get through and know Jesus is there. Well, one of the lies of Satan is you're by yourself. You're the only person who's ever experienced this, you know, and um, God hates you the most, you know, or whatever it is. (laughs) Like, yeah. And he wants us to stay there. Yeah. He he wants wants us to stay there. Yes, Absolutely. it's really like immobilizing. I was just, um, like I said, preaching in Seattle last weekend, and and I prayed for this precious, precious girl afterward. And I just, I just literally got a word from the Lord that, that like the thoughts she was having, you know, she was saying, "I just keep feeling like I'm such a bad mom," and I'm like. Mm-hmm whoa, that's the accuser talking to you. I just knew it. I'd spent the day with this woman and I'm like, nope, mm -mm. that's the accuser. And so we have to be so, it's such a, it's such a process. It's just a process of number one, being aware of where we're at. And, and, you know, God, I feel like there's so much to be said for sitting in our pain and there's no hurry. There's no rush to get out of the pain. I mean, you look at Job, it's 42 chapters long for 37 chapters. Job cried. (laughs) Like that's a lot of chapters out of 45. But we want to get out of that pain. I mean, we don't want to stay in it at all. No. I mean, you're I, right. There's no hurt. It's healthy to stay stay it, there for a while. It is. And, you know, there's a flip side where you're like, okay, it's been a really long time. And now you're actually refusing what God wants to do in you. But there's that there's that point of, like, giving credit where it's due. We're like, yeah, that was really sad. Like, let's sit in that for a while. Like, this is really hard. Let's sit in that for a while. I mean, Jesus was called a man of sorrows. He wasn't afraid to cry. He wasn't afraid to go off and by, be by himself and take a rest. And like, he's God in human flesh. I always say, I keep saying lately, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> like, good. If Jesus needs to take a break, then I need to take a break, you know? That's so good. And I think, like you just said, like, okay, there is a point where you don't just sit in that suffering and lay in the fetal position, but there is a point too, where God calls us to surrender those things. And you share a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about that part of your healing, just surrendering to God, um, just the things that you had to in order to heal. Yeah, that part's hard because you have to kind of realize what you're, what, what you're holding on to. And I wasn't aware really of what I was holding on to. You're just, I mean, when, <clears throat> when you're experiencing trauma like that, um, losing a child or, or whatever the trauma is, there's a lot, it comes in a lot of different shapes. Um, you don't even know it. You don't even know, like you're just having like reactions. And so it takes a while to kind of let it course through your body and, and figure out, and we're talking, you know, it could be weeks, it could be years, it could be months, who knows, or days, depending on what it is and what God's doing in you. But when you're finally realizing it and then just acknowledging it, like, all right, Lord, this is, this is what I'm feeling and I'm going to give it to you. And, um, and that part's like, it takes humility, you know, because I think there's also like, I deserve to hold on to this. Like, you know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. Because it's, like right. this is where I live. Like I live in being sad about my daughter. Like that's, that's comfortable for me. It's scary to like, well, what would happen if I laid this out? Like what right. would happen if I forgave my husband? What would happen if I forgave my attacker? What would happen if I forgave my mom, my dad? Like, does yeah. that give them permission to hurt me again? Or, you know, right. if, what if I lay this suffering down? Does that mean I'm going to suffer again? Right. It's vulnerable. It's making yourself vulnerable again. Like, this is my thing I'm holding on to. I think it's protecting me that I can have this self-pity or these fits or whatever. So, yeah, that's a hard, I'm sure, was that one of the harder steps in your healing? 
I think so. Yeah. yeah, because you, you, yeah, it's a self-protection thing. Yeah. And so you feel like if I stay small, and that's probably something I still struggle with. If I stay small emotionally, um, then, you know, if I don't branch out, say, you know, trusting God, then he won't disappoint me again. Yeah, I think it's something we all struggle. I mean, the more we're talking about this, I'm like, that is a lifelong, like something we're all struggling with at various phases. Because totally, yeah, and it's with people too. I mean, I've I've gone through a lot of relational pain in the last ten years, like big stuff that I have not written about, and I probably won't because you know it's it's who knows maybe I will one day. But trusting people again, if I show my true colors, will this person stomp on my heart? Right. And I know I'm not the only one, probably 95% of us listening, unless you're like under the age of 20, which even then, come on, high school. (laughs) I have a 16 year old. She's probably dealing with it too. (laughs) Yes. Where you get afraid, you get afraid to open your heart and and you think that it's protecting when you're staying small, when you don't move, but what's really happening is it's making us worse. And so I, I, I thought about it like... Um, when we don't use our bodies, our bodies start to f- waste away. When we don't use our muscles, our muscles atrophy and go away. After you give birth, they're like, walk around. And you're like, are you kidding me? Did you see what just came out of my body? And they're like, nope, <laughs> walk around. And you're like, ah, <laughs> it right. so much. But you have to do these things in order to be useful again, in order to use your body again. And I think that it's the same emotionally. You have to do the scary thing and, and break out of that hard thing so that you can be healthy emotionally and spiritually again. You know, well, and I, I absolutely. And I think that ties in. Um, I mean, I think it really does tie into what you talk about in your second book here now is you realizing you're, you're living kind of a perceived world when we're so often in this life we're living in what we think is real for what the perceived world is in social media. And in your second book, you share about the other aspect of walking through Daisy's suffering and death is that God really put on your heart to you're supposed to be present in this here and now. And for you, that was letting go of social media. So mm-hmm. share, let's dive into that part of your story where, mm-hmm. you know, where God really puts it on your heart that day in the hospital when you're scrolling yeah. through Instagram. Yeah. So disclaimer, um, for, for anyone out there who might read my books, it's, they're not that sad. The first two chapters of and still she laughs are sad because I'm talking about grief. I never go back and describe cancer. Um, because I just, I just don't, there's a space for that. For me, that wasn't life giving. And then also in my second book here now, I touch upon it here and there. Um, but I just want, I just don't want anyone to be afraid. I think that's, I think that's a great point. And I mean, like we said, there's a chapter about poop. I mean, you're very, you're very real with just like the mothering. I mean, I have not lost a child, but I could just relate to so many things and just, I gleaned a lot from it just, um, and just being a mom and being present and knowing what's going on in this world. And we're all going to encounter our, none of our lives are going to be picture perfect, but you're right. It's not a dwelling on the cancer and, um, the details of that. So no, it's absolutely uh, not because that's not the point for me. The point was like God, what God was doing in it. And, uh, anyway, so, so this is one of the few scenes or maybe, if only, I don't know, I can't remember, in the, in the hospital. And so what was happening is we were given, at, after three years of cancer treatment, we were given a, hey, we've done all we can do with American Pediatric Oncology, you're on your own. 
Mm-hmm. And so we had a blog for her called Pray for Daisy. It's still up. It exists if anyone would like to see it. Um, and so we put out on that blog, hey, does anyone know? Uh, I had Instagram, Britt had Twitter. Everyone was, you know, hey, 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 what can we do? What can we do? And we received hundreds or even thousands of replies of what what we could do for her. And, mm-hmm. and it was crazy. Some, some stuff was like absolutely crazy, but when you're losing your daughter, you're like, yeah, I'll listen. I don't care. <laughs> I will listen to anything. Well, the, the most, the, the option that made the most sense to us was there's a doctor in Israel in Tel Aviv. He's doing experimental cancer treatment and we would, that's, we, we would do well to go there and see what he could do for us. And so we were raising money to get there and doing a few medical procedures in order to do what, you know, to get what he Mm -hmm. needed. And one of those things was to harvest Daisy's stem cells. So we're at UCLA at the hospital and it's, I think it was like July and, um, I hate cities. I just do. I hate concrete. I want green. I want the ocean. I want, you know, even if it's poop, animals, I want all the things. (laughs) And I was feeling sorry for myself. We had spent yet another week in the hospital. It had been, you know, three years of this. And my daughter is bald and frail and dying and lying in her bed. And I was sitting in a chair by the window, looking through Instagram and I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And all I saw were, was all my friends at the beach, all my friends at the barbecue, all their little girls had long hair blowing in the breeze. And I was getting more bitter and more bitter and more bitter until all of a sudden I felt like God say, look up, mm-hmm. look up look up and I see Daisy in that bed and I felt like God was saying, why are you looking at what you don't have and completely missing out on what you have? Mm. Because she's still here. And listeners, I was the only person in the whole wide world that got to be in that room with her that day. The coolest Mm. little girl, the most fun, funny, witty, strong, feisty little thing. I was the only one who got to be with her in that room that day. And I was looking at what I didn't have. So I put that phone down and I, and I went over to her and I got in her bed and, you know, we watched cartoons, we played cards. She made me laugh. And I just thought, wow, I am in danger here of missing Mm -hmm. out on my life Mm -hmm. because I am jealous and bitter and looking at everyone else's life. And it kind of just started the conversation between my husband and me. And we were, hey, we're about to go to Israel. It could be any length of time up to 12 months. What do we want it to look like? And um, we started by saying, you know what? If we took if we took our phones with us, if we if we took Instagram with us, it would be such a temptation because we're going to the Wailing Wall, the Sea of Galilee, all these things. You know, that we know we would eventually yeah. do, of course. It's a lot of great posts, right? <laughs> a lot of great posts. And at that time, I, I only had a few hundred followers. It wasn't for me about that, but it was more um, this the distraction. You know, that yeah. was seven years ago. It was before kind of, it was all about Instagram followers and all that. So it was more of just, these are my friends or my people or people at my church. And I was just like, people are going to want to see this. And then I thought, I don't want them to see this. I don't want to yeah. miss a second. One second. Why would I miss one second of my life with her? Because I would post something that like a virtual stranger would look at for how long? Half of a second. Oh yeah. Cute. Tap, tap, scroll, scroll, tap, tap, scroll, scroll. Like that's, I mean, that's kind of gauche, but that's what it is. Like that's that's what we're doing, spending our time doing with other people's, you know, and, 
not realizing like this is a moment and i was like yeah no way dude i am not doing that and so he's like yeah i'm going off twitter like what do i care about twitter like you know i just did it because i'm a pastor and i feel like aren't is not what you're supposed to do say really smart and godly things and blast it out to the cyber world right i mean that's our world now that that's what you're supposed to do like if you need if yeah so we were like yeah no way we're we're done with social and then it was a step further we were like but you know what do we want to be in Israel and have texts and phone calls and all the things come in all the time? No, we don't. We straight up left our smartphones in America and we got these teeny tiny little just in case little, you know, Nokia flip phone things just in case we lost each other. But that we were the only ones who had our number. Oh, and the doctor. And that was yeah. it. And we went there and we told our families, listen, we will email you once a week to let you know how we're doing. But other than that, we are off the grid. And we went off the grid. We were there for three months, and it was just the four of us, and the whole and the Trinity. I mean, those yes. what, the seven of us. It was beautiful. It was hard. It was. I was going to ask you. So it was hard. I mean, because it's it yes. is beautiful. And I think it sounds amazing, but it was hard too. Like there were literally times because you would expect like, oh, you're going to hear God loud and clear. And there were absolutely yeah. times that we heard God loud and clear. But there were times we were living for a while in this town called Zikron Yakov that was like up um, like on Carmel, Mount Carmel, and that we were just running through this um, all the time, taking turns hiking through this nature reserve. And there were literally days where it's funny because we'd go one on one because we'd have to stay with the kids, you know. Where I'd be like, yeah, I, I was literally yelling at God. And he was like, oh my gosh, like I would go and I'd be like, where are you? Where? Mm-hmm. How come you're not with me? Like, yeah, come on, God. So hard in the sense that it made you like be present and focus on yeah. what was really around you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, dude, I mean, it was, I would not trade it for anything, but it, it was, it was such an exercise in the old days of like, well, this is what it's like not to hear your phone going bing, bing, and pulling you away from whatever you're immersed in over and over and over and over and just really putting communication and connection in its place. So it's not even really about like followers and trying to look like something that you're not or looking at other people's things. It's really, I mean, it's that, but it's also about connection, like all the time yeah. and phone ding. Like taking you away from your baby, taking you away from your husband, taking you away from all these things and realizing I don't have to live like that. I literally don't have to. It's because it's being sold. I don't need to buy it. Right. Do you think, so you said that was seven years ago and I know you still have not gone back to Instagram. You're not on Facebook, all of those things. Yeah. So we left for Israel August of 2012. Um, And so that's when we went off are everything's when we got back i used my smart my smartphone again because you know i just did but i kept instagram off and i turned my ringer off most of the time and i turned every single notification off so when i'm ready for email then i'll look at it but i don't yeah. get a ding if it then and are you guarded with like how do you do that now are you very guarded with that here's my set email time here's my set time on the internet like how do you handle that now Because it's a different world even than seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, We don't, we decided to take Wi-Fi out of our home. So we don't have Wi-Fi. 
I know people are like, I'm sorry, you did what? (laughs) Yes, but I'm not so holy. Like I have a data plan. It's just like having some boundaries. Like, well, and it's not about being holy. I mean, and and I know that's your point in the book, but I do want to clarify, like, it's not about being holy or holier than like, this is what you, you feel like you and your family need to set up boundaries. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it feels really good to have boundaries, but that being said, and I usually say this from the pulpit when I'm, when I'm teaching, but I say, Hey, preachers are preaching about what they're learning. It's not that we have it cornered or writers, write Because they're working it out. Like we're not the ones who know everything. And if someone's saying that they do, they're lying to you. Like we're figuring this out and we struggle with it too. And so if there's one thing I struggle with these days, it's email. I think because of writing books and, you know, publishing and, okay, well, there's this thing I'm going to have to do. Uh, So that's something that I need to get under control and have office hours for. And so I try and do that. Like this morning, we're having our interview and then I'm going to do an hour on email. And I'm I'm actually at our church using the church Wi-Fi Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. because I I can't do Skype at home. And it's not convenient. Like I have to get dressed, drive the five miles to church, get on Skype. But it's great when I adhere to my own guidelines of, hey, these are office hours. So that way, when I'm with my five-year-old who I homeschool, um, I'm not constantly checking email. I mean, there's so many times where she says, mom, put your phone down. And I I'm mean, like, how many kids right now say that to their parents? A lot. Yes. I, 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 I almost think that kids probably say it to their parents more than parents say it to their kids. Way more. Mm-hmm. Way more. So it's, it's a lot of it is about habits and rhythms. And so that's a lot what here now is about, like kind of figuring out what it looks like and what it could mean to be present. And, and really what we learned in Israel was the whole phone thing is just the tip of the iceberg. It's like, I think it's just the most obvious thing because of our age of connection and technology. It's probably our biggest struggle, but it's just the tip of the iceberg that being present doesn't mean setting your phone down so that you can play Candyland and be bored to death with your five-year-old. Like that's not necessarily what pre- being present means. Sure. It could look like that, but it doesn't mean being bored to death. It means like, like it's not what you're missing or what you're depriving yourself of. It's actually throwing yourself into something really beautiful, right. such as like being with your people in a beautiful way. Like I, you know, taking my, my, my family places, we just went to Hawaii, like going to the beach or, or doing things or, or even like immersing yourself in work or, or whatever it is, just being all there, whatever you're doing, going outside, like spending time with Jesus. Like I learned that through journaling, I could have more of a dialogue in the scriptures rather than a monologue. Like, Mm. I love it. I just discovered these, these scripture journals. I think it's the illuminated Bible. They have a whole set of scripture journals. I met the girl who illustrated it and was like, okay, you're cool. And then I saw her stuff and I am a huge fan. So if you want to link to that, I don't know if you do that. Yes, I absolutely. Yes, we do on the show notes. We'll put links to that. I would love to see that. Okay. For those journals, because I feel the freedom to write it. So basically it's scripture on one side and then a blank page on the other. And it's a beautiful little paperback. And so in my Bible, I do like to write notes in my Bible, but you just have those little margins. And plus, let's be honest, it's your Bible. Like your grandkids are going to read this one day. So you don't write just anything, but in these, like, you're free to just like write questions or draw things or make a point or, or write a prayer or whatever. So it's a real dialogue. It's term. I actually got to meet the guys who published it last weekend. And I was like, you guys, these scripture journals are the bomb. Um, anyway, but like back to being present, what that looks like, it can look like going outside. 
It can look like listening. It can look like having fun with your friends. It can look like using your body, dancing, like cooking food and then eating it. Like it's not about. Like put my phone, like you said, put my phone down so I can sit and do a puzzle for an hour with my, it's, it's not that at all. I mean, it could Um, look like that, but that's not it. It's not like, Hey, don't have any fun. I think the point is, is, and, and I think this goes back to, to the hospital is not missing your own life. Yes, like, absolutely. There's some really, like, like sometimes, yeah, reading a blog is great, getting ideas online, but putting that in its place. Okay, there's time for that. But then there's time for look up, get off your phone, play with your kids, go for a bike ride. If you're single, like go out with your friends, go have a happy hour, like go to church, go do something, like right. live our actual lives. instead. And of a lot of that at- too is being intentional, like scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, that's not an intentional life. And so that's not an actual relationship. Some people are like, well, how am I going to keep up with so-and-so? Like you have their number, Mm -hmm. call them like, or or even text. That's fine too. But like, you know, like sending emojis or looking at people's lives when it's so impersonal and, and I'm so not, I'm not a hater. I'm not telling everyone get off your Instagram. That's the devil. It's not, it's not just keep like, just own it so that it doesn't own you. There's a, there's, there's a place for that. For me, I, I leave the door open. I might one day go back on. I honestly doubt it at this point. I just honestly doubt it because this is why this is a secret to like so much of what I wrote about in here now is that when you're not looking around, when you're not looking at everyone else's life, you're free to enjoy yours and you like it so much better. You have no idea that there were parties that you didn't get invited to. (laughs) You, you literally just really kind of gave me goosebumps when you said that. Cause I will just say like, I, so I think I shared this with you when we shared some emails that I had been feeling on my heart for a while. Like I was supposed to be out of Facebook off Instagram, just because of the time I knew I spent scrolling through there or comparing, or even just building up the podcast, like stressing, like I don't have enough follower, you know, just, I knew that was unhealthy stuff. And so, I had that in my heart anyway. And I think that's how I came across your book. So I read that when we were in California and it just really was like, oh goodness. Okay. You're speaking to me, God, but Mm. continuing to feel it. So I reread your book, skimmed through it for this podcast. And I was like, okay, yeah, God, I really am. So this weekend was my first weekend, like deleted the apps off Facebook what? and it's, stre- it is stressing me out some. Cause I'm like, how am I supposed to like publicize any of these podcasts? Like, uh-huh. and it is a dialogue I keep having with God, but on the flip side, like what you were just saying, like not comparing, like that is my thing. Like, I just know like people on the outside think I'm probably a very healthy, you know, but comparing uh-huh. other people's lives or I didn't get yeah, to that party or, oh my gosh, they're doing all these crafts with their kid. Like, it's probably, it's also been the best thing. It's been the hardest, but the best thing. And I almost went on this morning. I'm like, why? Like, why do you want to do that? Like, just to see, like, that's a waste. Like, let's be intentional about your time and your life. So I totally interrupted you, but I'm like, yes, that's what I'm trying. So no, I'm so glad for you. I literally get so giddy when someone tells me they deleted Instagram. Like, cause you know, every time I speak, I probably, I get a handful of girls or, or after the book launch they're like, I've literally gotten a handful of girls. Hey, you know, it's all conspiratorial. I deleted Instagram off my phone. And I'm like, and how are you? And they're like, I love it. 
<laughs> it is a love hate, but I would say Eric definitely to decide to love. I mean, I've never loved social media. Like I said, I have a 16 year old daughter and I hate that my kids are growing up in that world. I know there's positives to it. I'm not a hater on it, but I don't like it. I don't like that they have the feel. I mean, we have the same feelings. We post things and we want likes. And I know we're grown up ladies. We're yes. literally grown up ladies. And I, if someone shows me something that I wasn't a part of, I literally feel like, why do you hate me? And I'm like a mature woman. Like I'm a pastor's wife. I write books. And I literally am like, why do they hate me? So can you imagine what, you know, a not fully formed brain, teenage brain thinks about these things? Like, no wonder the suicide rate is climbing. No wonder, you know. And I just like, I think if any, if there's nothing else that I, you know, well, there's two, actually. I was going to say, if there's nothing else that people get from here now. There are two things that I want people to get from Yeah, here tell now. me. That was actually one of my last questions. Like, what what do you want readers their biggest takeaway to be? So, yeah, tell me the two things. Yeah, so the takeaway is, like, like you, like you just to enjoy your life. Like, mm-hmm. God gave this beautiful life to you. Like, don't waste it. Don't waste it on what, on what you think that you have to buy just because it's being sold. So whether that's social media, uh, the comparison game. Also, and have, I have an 18-year-old son, and when he used to ask me for Instagram, he got it when he was 16, by the way. Okay. That's uh, what my, I was curious. So is he still have Instagram, Facebook? Where are you he, at with that? He has, he has Instagram. It's different for boys, though. So, too. He, you know, like, he, he does want followers, but he has a business. Uh, a photography and videography business and he does beautiful work he got I don't know if you saw my book trailer but he made that book trailer like he got I, hired I did see your book trailer and I heard you say that on another podcast that's awesome yeah, yeah so very he's, cool so he's he's kind of advertising his work like and that's another thing that Instagram's turned into and I think there is a space for that is is an advertisement platform um so he's kind of advertising his work but he's you know so it's different between boys and girls but what was Great. it going back to okay you're second uh, I'm sorry I took a late yeah So, um, oh yeah. What I always used to tell him was, dude, you can't have social media. Tell your older for right now. I want you to live your life instead of watching other people live theirs. Mm -hmm. And I would tell him that over and over and over. Anytime he'd mention it, I'd say, that's because you're living your life instead of watching other people live theirs because that can, that that can be what it turns into. And so as he was, you know, 13, 14, 15, and then early 16, I would say I would, and I'm probably a jerk of a mom about it, but I was like, dude, I'm sorry. Do your other friends go hunting with their grandpa for two weeks in Idaho? No, I didn't think so. I'm sorry. What, which friends of yours are going to Indonesia? You know, just trying to be like, Hey, your life is amazing. Like, you know, I think we miss out on how beautiful our lives are. Like, how come I don't have that house? And like, I have to be honest, I have a beautiful home. I love my home. I'm very proud of it. But if I start to look at like my mother-in-law loves Instagram and she loves uh, like the home ones. And if she's Mm -hmm. like, she's like, oh, look at this account. And I start to look at the account. All of a sudden I hate my house. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hate my house. I want to love my house. And you know, what's funny is even before Instagram, like way back in the day, I remember reading, um, fashion magazines and I'd put it down and I'd be like, I'm a toad. I'm the ugliest toad that ever lived. I hate Absolutely. I mean, this team magazine 17. Yes. Yes. I hate my body. I hate my face. I hate my closet. I hate my life. And my husband, I remember, um, we were, you know, young and married and he looks at me in the eye and he's like, I is not this kind of guy. He said, I forbid you to read fashion magazines. And I remember being like, what? What? I want to. And he's all, you hate yourself after you do it. Why are you doing this to yourself? 
And I was like, dude, you're right. So I don't read fashion magazines. I don't look at fashion blogs. Um, I don't either. I I don't. I mean, I had eating disorder in my past and it's like, I knew I had to be intentional with that. Um, But I think you have to be aware and intentional. Yeah. 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 I don't want to be discontent. I want to enjoy my life. And, and then on the flip side of that, I don't want to be the source of someone else's discontentment. So I'm careful about, I do have a blog. My So back to like marketing and that kind of thing. My publisher said, I will, that they were like, this is very unconventional that you don't have a platform, that you don't have followers and all the things. They said, it's super unconventional, unconventional, but you have to be willing to have somewhere for your readers to find you. And I agree that that's a really good idea. So I have a blog that I write on occasionally, but I have to be careful about what I post because I don't want to be, it's not social. So it's not popping up and in your face all the time, but I'd never want to be the source of someone else's discontentment. How come she has this? How come, you know, I just, I was just in New York last weekend signing books and, um, I wasn't going to write about it. My husband's like, you actually should, because if there's any of your readers in New York, they should come and see you. So I was like, okay, I'm going to write about it, but I'm going to make it and I'm going to write about it in a way that's like, Hey, this isn't not like my everyday life. Like this is a magical unicorn day and this is hilarious and we could dance about it and it's going to be really fun. But let's be honest, my real life is laundry, dishes, kids, yeah. you know, and well, poop, right? <laughs> poop, lots of yeah. piles of piles of poop. And, and that's good and right. And those are the building blocks of a beautiful yeah. life. It's not the highlight reel. It's our everyday moments that matter. And so while I did write, okay, yes, I went, I also didn't take a photo of it and post it. I didn't, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have to be so careful not to come off like a judgy McJudgerson. Um, but I don't, I don't want to compare my life with other people's and I don't want other people to compare their life with me because no one's fancy. And even with writing, you're like, it sounds so fancy. You're a writer. And I'm like, you know what that looks like? That looks like me in my baggy sweats with no makeup and literally like a cold cup of tea opening my computer for an hour a day and trying to hit my deadline. That's what that looks like. And like a publisher, like I went to my publishers. It could sound fancy. I'm flying to Nashville to have marketing meetings with my publisher. Like you can say I'm flying to Nashville to have marketing meetings with my publisher. You know what that looks like? An industrial park building with cubicles. With girls who happen to like books, but they work in a cubicle, okay? Like, it's not fancy. It's not fancy. And I think going back to, um, and I know we need to wrap up here shortly because you've got to respect your, respecting your time, but when you said, I don't want to be like I'm, you know, this goody two-shoes or judging others' lives, I mean, I don't feel at all like you come off that way. I think the Lord obviously spoke to you that said like, look, your daughter's here. You need to be present. And the Lord continued to speak to you. And I think that's the point that we need to all examine that part of our lives and be real with it. Like how much is that taking? What is my motivation? What is that doing to my heart? Am I living my best life when I'm posting things all the time or looking at others? So I think that is the biggest part of it. It's not get off Facebook, social media forever, or maybe it is. It depends on how God wants is speaking to you with that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff on there and there's a space for that because there are girls who are never going to get off and they need to see the great stuff. So if you feel like you've got a handle on it and that this is an okay space for you, you know, I've got friends that are like, yeah, I actually do have a handle on it. Or when they don't, they take a break. And I think that's really great. And that's awesome for them. I just don't have the bandwidth for it. And so I choose not to. And that's what I'm feeling and how God's speaking to me too. So I think. Yeah, I love that. Well, hey, just so you know, if you ever need any help with, because you have to get creative. 
You, just, um, well, you hit me up. You have my email. Well, so I actually might because I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Then go ask all my friends to post it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So God's going to have to reveal that part to me. But I think the other part too is God's like, well, trust me, you know, like yes. if I'm telling you to do this, trust me for the rest of it and have faith yes. that, um, so, well, we could keep talking here. I just appreciate it. Um, there's one thing I do want to say yes, and, that, and it's, and it's like the other takeaway. And it, honestly, if there's no other takeaway than this, this is the most important from here now is that when we, um, invest in our moments by being present, whatever that looks like getting off our phone, you know, being present, listening to the Lord, listening to our people, being, being where we're supposed to be. When we invest in those moment by moment things, it sets us up to invest in our seasons. Mm -hmm. So it's not just for the sake of being present or for being that girl that sits in the lotus position and says, I'm so present right now. No, 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 no. It's for something more important. And so I learned if I could not be present with my daughter, you know, there in the hospital, how can I be present in cancer in general or in suffering or in grief in general? Mm -hmm. If you can't be present in your marriage, you know, in the moment by moment, how can you be present? Like when the storm hits or if, you know, or in your career, if you're not married and you know, how can you be present with your family, with your roommates or with your boyfriend or your fiance? If you can't be present with your fiance in those moment by moment things, how do you know if you're supposed to be married to him or, yeah. um, you know what I mean? So it's That's not so just for the sake of emotional health spiritual health, um, all those things. It's for the sake of, of making history of That's like, right. man, this is what God has me right now. I don't know where it's going to end up. Ecclesiastes says that we can't see the whole scope of God's work. Like we can't, we can't right. see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That's what it says from beginning to end. No, we can't. I didn't know. Would Daisy make it? Would she die? Would she live? I don't know. But God doesn't give us that. He gives us only today. Yeah. And that's what we're responsible for. The rest is up to him. The rest we trust him with. But if we can't even be responsible to, for today, how can we be responsible for that bigger season, that bigger, you know, circumstance, that the good times, the bad times and everything in between? Yeah, that's so, so good. And I just, Kate, you you have just been a blessing for me to talk to and to be able to read both of your books. And um, so just thank you. Thank you for sharing all that the Lord has put on your heart and worked in your life through your story. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I hope you were as encouraged as much as I was during my conversation with Kate Merrick. As I mentioned in the show, she has encouraged me to take my own break from social media this summer after the Lord was already working on my heart to do so. So I need your help to promote the show. If you like an episode, please share it with friends and encourage others to listen. Also, leave a review for the show on iTunes so others can more easily find the podcast. As always, the links mentioned in this episode, including Kate's blog and where to purchase her books, can be found on the Her Story Speaks website at herstoryspeaks.com.